I think Bono better quit touring, Tom. Yeah, that's what I think. It's great to see all... You don't know who Bono is? Did someone say, who's Bono? Did I hear that? Okay, yeah, all right. All right, always somebody smart in the crowd. It's good to see all of you again tonight. It's good to be back here with you. I've been here actually, but I've just been sitting back in the corner when Andy's been doing his series. I have been thinking about doing this series for many, many years, and many, many months I've been pondering it. Tonight we're going to start it entitled The Revolutionary Life. And what I want to do this evening is have you bow your heads with me for a word of prayer and ask God to give us ready, teachable, hungry hearts for what He has to say. I believe the Lord is here tonight. I believe that God wants to speak to your heart. I believe that God has things He wants to say and speak into your soul and into your ear and into your mind. The only way He can do that is if we're receptive, if we're responsive, and if we want to hear Him. Imagine for just a moment that a giant bear walked into this room, came up here right in the front, Right under the spotlight, there wouldn't be a person in here who would miss the bear. Recently, my son and I were driving, I was driving to school, and we're just driving along early in the morning, minding our own business, and off to the left, in the front yard, is this giant eagle eating this dead rabbit. I couldn't believe it. We pulled the car over, we backed back up, we just sat there and watched this eagle like, 20 feet from us. It's amazing, isn't it, what we'll pick up sometimes driving down the road. And yet when God Himself came and lived on the planet and dwelt among us, millions of people missed Him. They were so hard-hearted, so ignorant to the fact that God was in their presence that they killed Him. And when Jesus of Nazareth died on that cross, he only left 120 followers. But from that time on, billions upon billions of lives have been touched by the living Christ. God is still working today. God is here tonight. And God has things he wants to say to you. The question is, will you hear him or will you miss him? Father, we just thank you tonight. That you are the author of love, the author of life, the author of peace, the author of meaning. And you have something you want to say to us tonight. You want to help us, Lord, rise above the ordinary life, the status quo that we see all around us in our world. So many people living such ordinary lives, such meaningless lives. So many bored and discontented lives and so many ruined lives. We ask you tonight that you'd begin a revolution in our own hearts. That we would not miss the life that you have for us. And someday look back on a life filled with regret. A life filled with meaninglessness. A life that didn't matter. A life that didn't count. Spare us, O oh God, deliver us from a vain and futile way of life. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Someone were to ask me, Mark, what is your greatest passion? I have many passions. All of them related to my spiritual life. But if they were to ask me, what is the one overarching passion besides, you know, my love for God and my passion for Jesus Christ? I would have to answer this. My greatest passion is to spend my life raising up and inspiring thousands and thousands of Christian revolutionaries who will march to the beat of a divine drummer. Who will begin by embracing a revolutionary life for themselves and then turn and bring that revolution to the people around them all across the world. <clears throat> and it has been that that I have spent the last 30 years of my life involved in. Going wherever I can, traveling wherever I can, speaking to whoever I can. Not only to represent Jesus Christ, but to challenge men and women of all ages to rise above the ordinary, the meaningless, the futile, the vain lives that we see being lived in our world today. And to embrace the revolutionary life that Jesus Christ offers to any single person who is not only willing to embrace Him as Savior, but willing to follow Him as Lord and Master. Thirty-one years ago, I went on a journey. I went on a quest. I went looking for meaning. I was kind of a child of the 60s. And there was a time of great revolution in this country at that time. Massive social upheaval. There was the Civil Rights Revolution. But the primary revolution that I was aware of was what most people referred to as the hippie revolution, the anti-war revolution. But the more I got to know about it, and of course, the more now, as history reflects upon it, we find it was primarily a revolution of selfishness. It was primarily a revolution of, I want to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, whenever I want to sleep, and I don't want any commitments. And I want to experiment with whatever drugs I want to experiment with. And it left in its path destroyed lives. And it's left in its path countless men and women, many in this room, whose moms and dads are my age. And you grew up in a dysfunctional and broken home. At the same time, at the same time that that was going on, there was genuine, sincere men and women who were looking for a real revolution, who were sick and tired of all the hypocrisy and all the backstabbing and all the meanness and all the prejudice and all the hate, who were sick and tired of living for nothing but the almighty dollar. And they looked out on the world and said, I want something that matters. I want a life of meaning. I want a life of significance. I want some greater connection. And they began to look into spiritual things. And there were many my age who embraced TM, Transcendental Meditation, which is nothing more than Hinduism redone. 
There were many who embraced all kinds of isms. But there were also many who began to embrace the real, authentic, living Christ. And it began to change their lives. Not only change their lives, but revolutionize their lives. And since that time, that last 30, 40 years, there have been pretty amazing things that have happened by, in many ways, a relative few radically committed revolutionary Christian men and women. The word revolutionary means an advocate and adherent of revolutionary doctrines. An advocate and an adherent, and adherent means a practitioner of revolutionary doctrines. Today, to be quite frank, about the only thing we know about revolution is things like the iPod. You might have one. I do. Well, it's my daughter. She lets me use it once in a while. The iPod simply is a music revolution. I can carry in the palm of my hand over 50 CDs put on one little box. I can send them to friends. You now do not have to buy an album. You can just for 99 cents go to iTunes and buy your own song. The one you like the most. Or we've got what we call the communications revolution. Many of you here in the auditorium have one tonight. I hope they're turned off. They're called cell phones. No matter where you are, generally speaking, you can talk to a friend or a loved one. And it's an absolute revolution. I know I don't look this old, but when I was a kid, we had a party line. A rotary dial phone, and you'd pick it up, and there'd be eight other people on the same phone line. A little bit like Mayberry RFD, you know. Andy Griffith, when Barney's on the phone, he says, Oh, get off, I got an emergency. You know, and you guys would just die. Well, now, actually, you have party lines. They're called IMs. You ever try to get work done on your computer, and 50 people are interrupting you, wanting to talk? Now, you guys may like that, but I don't like it. So I can just click, shut them off. We've got the print revolution. We have the financial revolution. We have the shopping revolution. It's called the Internet. Brought to us by the PC, the personal computer. If we're honest, let me just be frank, if we're honest, there can be, of course, wonderful uses to each one of these commodities. But what they've really done is just to open the door to more materialism. Now, instead of, you know, just having one CD, you decide to get thousands of songs. And your cell phone, one of the most frustrating things in the world, you're paying like 80 bucks a month for it. You're in the middle of an important conversation and they can't even cover you enough that you get cut off and you have to call them back. That's really cool. But we got to have it. We just got to have it. Now there's video ones. Now you got the Bluetooth right here and you just keep it in your pocket. And you can look like you're Mr. Miss Cool. Just walk down the street. Now they got iPods with video. You know what it's really all about? You know what it's really all about, this revolution? Getting their hands in your pocket. 
and causing you to be greedy for more and creating greater and greater and greater societal discontent and a greater and greater distance between the haves and the have-nots. And it goes on and on and on. I want to read something to you that for me personally is as fresh today as it was when I read it 30 years ago. I saved this little book. The night I gave my life to Jesus Christ after hitchhiking around the western United States, <clears throat> kind of living a crazy, insignificant life, looking for something I wasn't finding, I came back home for a brief time. While I was home, God began working in my heart. God began working in my life. And I started to be honest about the emptiness of my life. <clears throat> I started to be honest about the fact that there was an awful lot of rotten things about me that I didn't like. There were an awful lot of rotten things in the world that I didn't like. And I began to recognize there's a, a big emptiness in my life. And I knew deep in my heart that the only way that emptiness could be filled is if I surrendered my life to Christ. So the night I surrendered my life to Christ, I came home. It was rather late. I was pretty um, hyped up, you might say. I couldn't sleep. We had this bookshelf down in the basement. It was my parents' home. And my mother's very devout Christian lady. She had this book. It's called Come, Live, Die. It says under The Real Revolution. Now, I don't think my mom read it, to be honest, because... I don't know if she would have kept it on the shelf if she had known what was in it. Now I know she would have, but I don't know about then. And I opened up and I read this. No one could say, imagine, this was written 33 years ago. I want you to think about today as I read this. No one can say in these days that we Christians are spiritually starved. Through the care and faithfulness of God's servants, we are generously fed, taught, encouraged, pampered, stimulated, supported, and nursed along. A religious world of sermons, discussions, magazine articles, music, messages, books, meetings, and conferences surrounds us for our participation and growth. Yet we know very well, if we're honest, that these things have all too little effect on our lives. Why is this so? If we give the matter a little thought, we'll realize that most of us are living in two worlds. We have split our convictions, activities, and goals into two categories. In the first, we place our religious experiences, what we believe, what we sing about, what we pray about, and what we defend in arguments. But the second category contains our world of secular values and actions. Our use of leisure time, our actions taken to impress people, our attitude towards associates who are better or worse at their job than we are, and how we get our money and how we use it. We keep these two worlds strictly apart. And though we may vaguely feel that something is wrong, we don't suspect that we are suffering a major disorder, a sort of spiritual schizophrenia. In church, 
And occasionally among Christian friends, we talk about dedication, commitment, surrender, revival, a life on fire for God, and other expressions of loyalty and love for God. But the words and their corresponding deeds get little exposure outside the walls of the church building. This evangelical dichotomy has had more serious results than we would like to admit. It has produced men who are hard to get along with, women who rank themselves by the furnishing of their home and the style of their clothes, and whole families that put on smiling faces with their Sunday clothes for a few hours church. The late A.W. Tozer commented on this situation in his book of God and Men. Now I'm going to read you this, and if you think things I say is strong, just listen to this. Evangelicalism as we know it today does produce some real Christians, but the spiritual climate into which many modern Christians are born does not make for vigorous spiritual growth. Indeed, the whole evangelical world is to a large extent unfavorable to healthy Christianity. And I'm not thinking of modernism here. I mean rather that Bible-believing crowd that bears the name of orthodoxy. We are making converts to a feeble and weak type of Christianity that bears little resemblance to that of the New Testament. The average so-called Bible Christian in our times is but a wretched, ridiculous imitation of true sainthood. Yet we put millions of dollars behind movements to perpetuate this degenerate form of religion. And we attack the man who dares challenge the wisdom of it. I'd say that's a little strong, wouldn't you? I'd say that's real strong. And I'd say he's describing the majority of American Christians right there in that paragraph. In other words, hardly anything's changed in 32 years. But there are pockets. There are pockets all across this country and across the globe of men and women who are living revolutionary lives. If you look at the front of the Rock booklet, you see that the Rock is a place to come experience a revolution in church. This isn't church as normal. It was never meant to be church as usual. It was never meant to be Christianity as usual. It was meant as a tool, as a way to challenge and inspire and urge young men and women to a radical commitment to Jesus Christ. That's all I care about. I don't care if there's ever a thousand here or ten thousand. What I care about is the people who are here care about revolutionary Christianity. If not, you probably don't want to be part of this church because it's going to get real uncomfortable. I will have nothing to do with the degenerate form of religion, I'll tell you that. And I will not stand by and watch millions of dollars put on to perpetuate buildings and game rooms while we entertain our kids in church buildings around this country. Did you know that 77% of all young men and women who grow up in evangelical Christianity, when they reach 18... After all those great youth groups and all the great pinball games and all the great pizza parties, almost eight out of ten leave Christianity at 18 and never.
come back. He goes on to write, Everywhere I go, I find young people who are aware of this split of Christian and secular values. Many have become atheist or agnostic because of it. Many, many, oh my gosh, Barna has categorized today the statistics of people who have turned away from Christ. Because what they find in so many of our churches is so degenerate. While others have skidded in the pit of indifference, many Christians, leaders included, have admitted to me that their beliefs do not control their everyday life. Yet many others are hungry for reality and genuineness in the Christian life. I met a student in an evangelical seminary who was the first in his class academically, president of the campus mission group and chaplain of the student body. In talking with me, he admitted that he had very little heart knowledge of God, but he longed for a satisfying Christian experience. Can this dichotomy be ended? This schizophrenia cured? Can Christ really revolutionize your life so it is consistent and productive? The answer is yes. I do not offer a formula to achieve this result, but I offer the real Christ. I have seen him revolutionize people's lives all over the world. These Christians once lived in spiritual barrenness. Then they honestly faced Christ and confessed their besetting sin that clung from the old life. Christ transformed them and he can transform you. It is not a life of perfection, but it is a life of reality. It does not mean a life of ease, but it is a life of joy. If you're tired of split-level living, ask Christ to make you a whole person. This rings is true to me today. It's what I read it 30 years ago. This is what I bought into. This is what I seek to perpetuate. This is what The Rock's about. <clears throat> and if you'll stay with us for this series, you're going to find out, to a large extent, what brand of Christianity The Rock is about. See, Jesus Christ absolutely revolutionized the world in which we live in. Even in ways that most people don't recognize. Many years ago, there was a man, you'll all know his name. His name was John Lennon. He wrote a song called Imagine. I want to read you the lyrics. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. John Lennon represented a culture. Maybe to many, a subculture of people. He had a dream. Well, unfortunately, John Lennon realizes now there's a heaven and a hell. And even though John Lennon, bless his heart, had a dream, what he doesn't understand is this dream can only be realized with Christ. And someday, every aspect 
will be realized completely in Christ because Christ is coming again and He's going to set up a new kingdom, a whole new world order. And someday all those who know Christ will be taken from this place and they will live forever in a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no greed and there will be no hatred. And there will be no need for possessions. And there will be no hunger. And there will be no sickness. But there are things Christ wants to do in the meantime. And I would just like to cover with you briefly tonight. And we'll get into this more in the weeks to come. The revolution that Christ came to bring. And, And cover with you some of the revolutionary teachings of Jesus Christ. I can honestly tell you tonight as God is my witness and I'm not speaking of a life of perfection that for 30 years it has been my pursuit to apply these revolutionary principles to my life. And to the best of my ability by the grace of God and growing each year as each year goes by I have lived out these principles the way I raised my family, the way I ordered my life, the things I did not live for, the things I lived for, the way in which I tried to interact with people, the way I tried to interact with my enemies. And as a result, as a result, I look back on a life in which I've experienced some really incredible things, really amazing promises that God gives in His Word I experienced them. I don't just know about them, but I actually experienced them. Jesus Christ gives us a revolutionary new way to live. He gives us a revolutionary new way to know God in a very personal way. You have to understand that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and even today, people believe that God is this far removed If there is a God, he's far removed and impersonal and very vindictive and very vengeful and very hateful and very fickle. But Jesus Christ came and revealed God to us. And he told us that we could know God in a personal way. He revealed to us a revolutionary truth about God, that God loves you personally. That God loves you. And God loves you so much that He's willing to forgive you all of your crimes. He's willing to forgive me all of my crimes, all of my sins, all of my shortcomings. And give us complete and total absolution. He gave us a revolutionary new way to understand where God wanted to live. For He told us that God wants to live In us. Not in some distant place, but right with us. You may not know this, but the Bible tells us Jesus' name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us and God amongst us. And God not only came to our planet, but He's still here. In me, in you, in others who personally know Him. And in any, any person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, 
no matter where they were born, has an equal opportunity to know Christ. He gave us a revolutionary way to defeat death and to view death. Listen, no matter what most people tell you, the human race has been held in a group of fear of death all their lives. We're afraid to die. Jesus conquered death. The Christian message is a message of resurrection. The Christian message is a message that death is not the end, but the beginning. The beginning of a marvelous eternity for those who know Christ. For those who do not know Christ, death is but the continuation of their chosen reality to live without God. And without God they shall live for all eternity. But you don't really die. You don't really die. You either pass over spend an eternity with Christ and you get a new body or you pass over and spend eternity without God, without any of the things that God has provided. He gave us a revolutionary purpose for living. You know what that purpose was? Matthew 6.33, one of the first passages I ever read as a young man. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's a very interesting passage. We'll look at it in some weeks to come, but let me just comment on it briefly. You know, when you're a young person, the normal thing that you start thinking about is, what am I going to do for a job? What kind of things do I want? There's a whole new line of cars made just for young people today. It's called the Scion, the XB and the AX. Just for you. Toyota's after you. And guess what? It's working. It's working. It's been a smashing success. Toyota executives are stunned how many young people will go out and want status. We want status, don't we? Much of the hip-hop culture, whether you want to believe it or not, is about status. It's about status. How many women you can get, how much bling you can wear, what kind of wheels you drive. Status. And so we start in this vicious cycle. Jesus, Jesus had something revolutionary to tell his disciples. He said, look, guys, look, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Look at the sparrows. They don't, they don't sow, they don't plant, but your Father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. Your Heavenly Father clothes them, and Solomon in all his glory could not clothe himself better than the lilies of the field. So I say to you, do not worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, for these are the things that, Jesus used this word, that the pagans, the non-Christian Those are the things they live for. But you, you, you live by a different set of priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the interests of God, Jesus said. And you know what? The the apostles, they believed Him. That's how they lived. Jesus is not telling us that we should never save or you shouldn't have a job. He's... He's giving you a whole new way of life. You're going to have to decide whether or not you want to embrace it. If you want a revolutionary life, you're going to have to embrace it. 
I can tell you a lot of stories about embracing it. I raised four children embracing this way of life. And as I saw first the kingdom of God and his righteousness for 30 years, God took care of our needs. He took care of them. God provided like he said he would. Christ gives us a revolutionary way to experience the blessing of God in our life. It's called the Beatitudes. And we're going to read it in a few minutes. He's given us a revolutionary way to use money. Jesus made it very clear. You cannot love God and money. You'll either love one or hate the other. Serve one or serve the other. But you cannot serve both. Made that very clear. I like what Billy Graham is once quoted as saying. He, he said, you know, it's not wrong to have a million dollars. It's wrong to keep it. What did he mean? What did Jesus mean? Of course the Lord knows we need a roof over our head, a car to drive, and food in our stomach, and our basic essentials and needs we're to provide for. But God tells us, do not store up. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and dust and rust collect and thieves break into steel. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where you're going. In other words, have you ever heard the story the saying, you can't take it with you? Yeah, how many have ever heard that? You can't take it with you. Raise your hand. Really high. Okay, now put your hand down. Let me tell you something. That's a lie. You can take almost all of it with you if you invest it there now. But you never see a hearse driving down the road pulling a trailer with all a man and woman's possessions. But for the man or woman who's wise enough to live by the principles of Jesus Christ and lays up their treasure in heaven by living for the purposes of God, by investing their money to change lives. Listen, when I started The Rock, I went to the, the other church that I founded, helped found, Evergreen, and we had a big meeting at State Theater. We invited everyone to come. About 1,400 people came. And that night, you know what I did? I asked them for $385,000. I ask each man and woman to go home and prayerfully consider what they might be able to give. I broke it down to averages because this is the way I think. If 1,200 people give about $32 a month for one year, we'll have the money we need to start this church, The Rock. That's what we used it for. It wasn't so I'd go on vacation or live in a big fancy house. I don't. You can come see it sometime. Or see the 91 Toyota Corolla that I drive out there in the corner with rust. That investment, there are hundreds of people in this room whose lives were changed because of that investment of a few very faithful people. There are many former addicts in this room whose lives have been transformed because someone reached in their pocket and said, You know what? I'm going to do what Jesus said. I'm going to invest for heaven. I'm going to use my money here and now to influence friends so that when my money fails and this world system ends, those people will welcome me into eternal dwellings. Read Luke chapter 16. That's what Jesus said to use your money for. It's a sad fact that multitudes of people are going to die with millions of dollars left in their account that their younglings are going to fight over who gets what. 
when, it, when so much of it could have been invested for eternity. Jesus Christ gives us a revolutionary new understanding of the world, of ourselves. Jesus made it very clear, did he not, that the world is evil. Not, you know, not the tree. The trees aren't evil. Eating a meal isn't evil. The world, the world system. You redefine man. I don't know if you know this, but most of our public education is based on the Humanist Manifesto. Which basically tells us that we're basically all really good. And Jesus really shattered that myth. If we're basically all really good, let me tell you, God wasted his son on the cross. Because we're not. All you have to look is, is the littered trail of history. Did you know more people were killed in the 20th century? The, the last one, excuse me, the 20th. Is that the 20th? Or this is the, the 20th? This is the 21st, right? I forget what century I live in. Do you know I feel so old? More people died in the civilized 20th century than all the previous centuries combined. More people. More people. He gives us a revolutionary way to understand God. A revolutionary path to greatness. You know what that path is? Become the servant of all. Jesus said, you want to be great? That's wonderful. You want to be great? Become the servant of all. Imitate me, Jesus Christ said. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus is God. And he left everything that he had and he gave up all of his rights and he became a servant to all. To the tax collector, to the sinner, to the leper, to the prostitute, to any and any person. Today, you know what God is still doing? Serving the human race. And he invites you. You want to be great? Then become the servant of all. And that's not the way we live. We'll get into that in the weeks to come. A revolutionary mercy. A revolutionary way to treat people. Jesus' Jesus' teachings were revolutionary on how we treat people. When he said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Do you want to be sued? Then don't sue others. Do you want to be yelled at? Then don't yell at others. Do you want good service when you go to the restaurant? Then good, good, give good service your job. Love your neighbor as yourself. These were revolutionary principles in both the Jewish and the Roman world. They're revolutionary today. He gave us a revolutionary new way to define exactly who our family is. Oh, this is a heavy one. Of course, we have our blood relatives, but Jesus, Jesus went something higher. One day, Jesus was speaking to a crowd, a very large crowd. Someone came running up and said, Jesus, Jesus, Mary, you know, the Blessed Virgin, she's out there, she wants to talk to you, and your brothers, and your sister. Jesus said, you know what he said to the whole crowd? Who is my mother, and my brothers, and my sisters? Those who do the will of God. These are my brothers and sisters. That's our truest family. Put another way, the Spirit is thicker than blood. The Holy Spirit is thicker than blood. When we come to Christ, we're family. And we're going to last forever. I love my brothers. I love my relatives. 
A number of them do not know Christ. I do not hate them. I pray for them. I seek to live an exemplary life before them. But my truest family are those who share my Savior. We share a bond that can never and will never be broken. He gave us a revolutionary standard of commitment. It's all or nothing with Jesus. It's all. In fact, Jesus said, whoever comes after me and does not love me more than his father, mother, brother, wife, children, yes, even his own life, cannot be my follower. You know, that's not really too hard to understand. Can I explain why? You don't have to raise your hand, but... There's probably a number of you here who grew up in a family whose dad decided to love the neighbor lady more than he loved your mother and love you. We have people who are radical for sin all the time, and we think nothing of it, do we? Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong is a classic example. I'm sorry to pick on Lance, but I'm going to pick on Lance. I have no respect for Lance. Oh, yeah, he's a great cancer survivor. Part of the reason he survived is because a woman named Kristen stuck with him through testicular cancer. And he decided to leave her and his couple beautiful children, go after his sixth and seventh tour to France, which will fade away anyway. And now he's run off with Cheryl Crow. I guess that's commitment, isn't it? We, we hold that. Man, our world just holds up that kind of commitment. It's like, oh man, oh Lance, Lance, almighty Lance. You know, God holds up. God holds up those who keep their righteous commitments, but who is clear to the world, he's first. He's first. Ethics are first. Integrity is first. Immorality is first. They want to honor God first. And whenever a man or woman wants to honor God first, trust me, you marry them, you'll have, a, you'll have a safe life. You'll be in a safe relationship. You have children, your children will be in a safe relationship. Safest place in the world is right in the center of the will of God. The scariest place in the world is to be married to a proud, self-centered individual. It's not safe. Christ gave us revolutionary definition of love. He told us to love others more than we love ourselves. In closing, let me just read to you this passage. Think about it as you go. There's two of them. They're what we call sister passages in the Bible. The first is Matthew chapter 5. There was a large crowd that gathered around Jesus. So he went to the mountainside and he sat down and he said, God blesses those who realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is given to them. God blesses those who mourn now. For they will be comforted. God blesses those who are meek. For they will inherit the whole earth. You know what meek means? It means to endure injury. With great patience and without resentment. How do you deal with injury? How do you deal with others who wrong you? What goes on in your heart? What's your attitude towards them? And what is your corresponding behavior after they've severely wronged you? 
Jesus said, God blesses those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. For they will receive it in full. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. When he says pure, he does not mean perfect. He means God blesses those whose hearts are truly fixed on God. I want to know you. You'll see God. God blesses those who are peacemakers with others, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when you are mocked and persecuted and lied about because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now listen to this. What sorrow for you who are rich now. For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are satisfied and prosperous now for a time of awful hunger is before you. What is Jesus saying? I want to be very clear and no one misunderstands. It's easy to misunderstand this. When Jesus said you cannot love God and money, our world has a great God substitute. And that God substitute is money, success, status, nice things. In and of themselves, they're not wronged if they're used properly. But what they do is they steal our heart away from God. And so Jesus is saying, it would be better To be poor in the world's eyes. What the world considers rich and poor. But yet be hungry for God. For you'll be richly satisfied. But for those of you now. Who've lived for the things of this world. Your happiness is now. But there's coming a time of all eternity. That you will mourn. Where the opposite is true. For those who may not have much now. But they've gone after God. You may not have much now, but your happiness that's coming will never end. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you'll be satisfied. He blesses you who weep now, for a time will come when you will laugh with joy. <clears throat> Listen, the world mocks its Christians, the real Christians. The world mocks at them. They make fun of them. They belittle them. I can't tell you, I have shed buckets and buckets and buckets of tears over the trials and difficulties and things I've had to go through because I love Christ. I am so comforted to know that I'm blessed for weeping now. I'm blessed. And one day, the laughing will never stop. God blesses you who are hated and excluded and mocked and cursed because you're identified with me. But then he says, see, what sorrow awaits you who laugh carelessly for your laughing will be turned to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised the false prophets. 
I don't want to be 50 cents. I don't want to be Damien Rice. I don't want to be praised by the crowds. That's not a safe place to be. I want to walk the road my Savior walked. And they killed him. But trust me, his joy never ceases. I want to walk the road the apostles walked. I want to walk the road that the early disciples walked. They were revolutionary men and women. And lastly, listen to this and then we'll close. But if you're willing to listen, I say love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. In the weeks to come, we're going to get into the practicalities of this revolutionary life. What does it look like to really live like this? How do you go about it? And my prayer is that you'll stick with it. There are going to be some who won't. There are probably going to be people here who just won't come back. And I'm sorry for you. I really am. Because God wants to do so much in your life. There's so much more than this life. Listen, this life is a drop in a bucket. No, it's a drop in all the oceans put together. It's one little thimbleful. The ocean is eternity. The thimble is this life. Don't waste it. Don't blow it. No matter what age you are here tonight, no matter what age you are, you can start right from where you are. Don't think to yourself, you walk out of these doors, well, you know what, I guess it's over for me. It's never over. It's not over till you're dead. You've crossed over. In the meantime, there's a chance for you to live a revolutionary life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you tonight for the Word of God, for the revealed Son of God, for Jesus Christ. This, Lord, this is not a game. This is not a nice little place that we come on Friday night, but this is a place for fermenting revolution. This is a place of change. This is a place of transformation. This is a place to be sent. This is a place to learn, to grow. This is a place that I believe you want to meet us here and speak to our lives and send this out into the world in which we live and bring the love of Christ to this broken world. We're not a revolutionary Lord that, that takes up arms. We're a revolutionary who lays down our arms and serves our neighbor and serves those who we'd ordinarily hate. It's a revolution of love. A revolution powered by Christ. Help us, oh God, we pray, to embrace this revolution. To pay the price to be a revolutionary Christian. In Jesus' name, amen.